Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. I don't know the first thing about investing my money, and it is all so overwhelming, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I love that Acorns makes it so easy and how you don't need a lot of money to get started. So head to acorns.com creepers or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Paid non-client endorsement may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com creepers. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC, Acorns, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorns Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. Ah, uh, no big deal. I just opened this desk drawer and found nunchucks. <laughs> Why are nunchucks in your desk drawer? You know, I could answer that question or I could just let you wonder, so. <laughs> have you missed me or what? My God, have I missed you. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real life creeps from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogab, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Hey, guess what? What? We have merch. Merch? We got merch. The people have been asking for it, and we have delivered. Oh my gosh, is there something with my face on it yet? <laughs> no, but that does give Ugh. me an idea. I kind of want, you know, the Obama <laughs> shirt? Like with, <laughs> yes. with Mogab. It's like the colors. But we do have a pop art like Warhol style with our Chelsea logo, not your face. Chels. With that one, it's Chels. super cute. I love it. You can get it on t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, canvas Gosh. bags. We got mugs. Tumblers too, Tumblers. right? For the non-coffee mm -hmm. drinkers. Yes. Mm -hmm. Tumblers. Oh, I'm pumped. Yeah. So we will have that link in the show notes and we'll have that link on our link tree on our Instagram and we'll post it in the Facebook group obviously so yeah check it out. join that discussion group too we're having so much fun in there 
It's so fun. I'm slowly turning it into a Waffle House discussion group. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, is also great content. All right. That's good. That's all the housekeeping announcements I have. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. I'm back. I'm back and I'm ready. Back and better than ever. Life doesn't happen biweekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the EarnIn app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. All right, Mogab. Today, I'm going to tell you Amy Bishop's wild story. The majority of this information, and by majority, I mean like basically all of it, came from this Really well-researched, really amazing article in The New Yorker by Patrick Rodden Keefe titled, A Loaded Gun. Ooh, I feel like someone dies in this. Yes, several people die in this. Oh, no. All right. It was 3 o'clock on February 12th, 2010. Time for the biology department's faculty meeting at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. Oh, roll to Oh, wait. Never mind. Yeah, I don't think it's Roll Tide. At Huntsville? Yeah, at Huntsville. Almost Roll Tide. But Roll Tide anyways. (laughs) At this meeting were 13 professors and staff members, including Gopi Padilla, the department chair. I love that name. I know. And Amy Bishop, a neurobiologist at the university, and Deborah Moriarty, a biochemist, which I love her name too. I love the last name Moriarty because it's like from Sherlock. What was that? Go check whatever that was. (laughs) Yikes. <laughs> I was like, did that come from your end? And then I remembered I had two cats. <laughs> yeah. My enjoy that later. cats can turn the stove on. It's it's a it's a <gasps> problem. It's a massive problem. They can turn the stove <laughs> on. One of them burnt her little paw on it one time. Wait, what? Are they spinny burners? No, it's touch screen. It's all a touch screen. And their little paws just hit it. They just... So I've taken to putting a pizza pan flipped over so that Mm -hmm. there's like a little bubble over the buttons. They knocked that off. (laughs) That's what they knocked off. Oh, my God. The little paw. I know. And so I saw her do it. The burner was on and I saw her... Or I think I had turned it off. It was still hot. But it was still hot. And so she put her little paw on it and then ran away because it was hot. And I went and checked it and it looked fine. It didn't look red. Like, I don't know what a paw looks like when it's burned. 
But then like a week and a half later, I was like checking her. I went and took her to the vet because I'm like paranoid about everything. I think they're dying and I think they're telling me I'm dying. Like it's just this whole thing. I think it has to do with Stella mm-hmm. and all that. I was looking at her paw and I saw there was like it was peeling off. Like there was like a <gasps> layer that was peeling off. And I was like, <laughs> so I, don't know. I need to get this stove thing figured out. I hate to break it to you, but cats live for years, uh, so you'll be fine. Oh, I know. You are in a committed relationship, my friend. You remember Callie, my Calico cat? Yes. Yeah, 21. Okay. Oh, my God. What did we already do? Oh, we were in the middle. I was about to do an intro. (laughs) Okay. We were in the middle. So this meeting was a fairly mundane one. It was mostly housekeeping stuff that probably could have been included in an email, like all other meetings. Stuff like budgets, events coming up, scheduling. But instead of listening, Deborah Moriarty was watching Amy Bishop. They'd been work friends since Amy came to the university in 2003. They bonded over talks of their families and because they both worked with cell cultures. And oh, yeah. (laughs) And Deborah knew if there was one thing you could expect from Amy, it was that she'd have an opinion on whatever the meeting topic was and that she would want to share it. But (laughs) <laughs> Today, she was sitting silent, withdrawn. Deborah described her as brooding. Deborah knew why Amy wasn't saying much. Amy had been up for tenure at the university, but the year before, she'd been denied. She had spent the last year desperately appealing the decision, even hiring a lawyer, but to no avail. When the semester was over, her job at the university would be over. And most of this meeting they were sitting in was dealing with stuff for next year, meaning none of it applied to Amy. Oh, we got to get better about that, people. That happens all the time. We got to quit doing that. There really wasn't a reason for her to even be at this meeting. Despite their professional friendliness, Deborah had voted against Amy receiving tenure. Amy knew that she'd voted against her, but they'd managed to remain cordial. And Deborah knew that Amy was taking it really hard. Amy had even told her that she thought her life was over. I feel like Deborah's life's about to be over. Deborah tried telling Amy that it was just a matter of fit and she'd find it at another university. While watching her in this meeting, Deborah made a mental note to ask Amy about how her job search was going. The meeting lasted 50 minutes and throughout the entire thing, Amy didn't say a single word. Very unlike her. But as the meeting came to a close, Amy pulled a nine millimeter semi-automatic gun out of her purse and shot the department chair, Gopi Padilla, in the head. Oh, my God. Before anyone had a chance to react, Amy fired the gun again, this time hitting a department assistant named Stephanie Monticciolo. It wasn't until the third person was shot, a cell biologist named Adriel Johnson, that people began screaming and ducking for cover. Amy was blocking the only door. This was in 2010? Mm-hmm. How did we not hear about this? Did you hear about this? No, not, okay. not until a oh. few years ago. Deborah was frozen. Her brain was still trying to comprehend what on earth was happening. And then she watched her point the gun at the next person, Maria Raglan Davis, and shot her. She was just taking him out one by one? Mm-hmm. That's when Deborah dove for cover, cowering under the conference table. Gunshots were going off, and Deborah didn't know what to do. This was Amy. Deborah threw her arms around Amy's legs, looked up at her, and screamed, Amy, don't do this. 
Think of my daughter. Think of my grandson. Amy looked down at her and pointed the gun right at her face. Deborah's eyes widened in terror as Amy's finger pulled the trigger. Oh, my God. But nothing happened. (gasps) Just a click. The gun had jammed. And like the badass she is, Deborah took the opportunity to crawl past Amy and get out of the conference room and into the hallway. Amy followed her, pulling the trigger over and over, trying to shoot her, but the gun wouldn't fire. While Amy tried to fix the gun, Deborah ran back into the conference room and barricaded the door with another colleague. That all happened in one minute. What? That's only 60 seconds. One minute had passed since Amy first pulled her gun out of her purse, and six people lay shot on the floor. Three of them, Gopi Padilla, Maria Raglan Davis, and Adriel Johnson, were dead. All in the span of 60 seconds. Over a job? Over a job. Amy didn't try to get past the barricades and into the conference room. She simply went downstairs to the restroom, rinsed off the gun, and threw it in the trash can, along with her plaid blazer that by this point was covered in blood. She walked into a lab in the building and asked a student to borrow his cell phone. Her husband, Jim, often picked her up after she was done for the day, and she called him and just said, I'm done. (gasps) She left through a loading dock in the back of the building where a sheriff's deputy was waiting to arrest her. When Jim, Amy's husband, called Amy's mother, Judy Bishop, to tell her that the police had taken Amy into custody, she asked him, Jim, did you have a gun in the house? Quickly, news of the shooting spread, especially since it's so rare for a woman to commit a mass shooting like this. Yeah. And the more people found out about Amy Bishop, the more confused everyone became. This was a person that had been a high achiever since childhood. She'd received a PhD from Harvard. Oh. Yeah. She was married. She was a mother of four children. She had no criminal record, no history of substance abuse. People were just like... What the hell? The biggest question on everyone's mind was, why? Because she didn't get that job. Yeah, the easy answer is obvious. She's disgruntled because she hadn't gotten tenure. But how does a person go from zero to mass shooting over something like a job? And is it possible there are just people walking around us that are ticking time bombs and all it takes is the right pressure point for them to explode? Yes. I mean, I was very disgruntled today, and I don't even feel like I would ever... Were you going to you know, bomb like I had a, a lot Starbucks? Of, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I don't understand how it goes like that. Also, no offense to the University of Alabama at Huntsville at all. I'm sure it is a very fine institution. But if this woman has a PhD from Harvard, I guess I don't really understand, like, tenure and all of that. Like, I mean, I get what it is, but I just, I don't know, sis, like, go get a job at a different university i feel like you would probably be highly sought after if you're high achieving phd yeah, from harvard I think she could have gotten a job at another university i mean there was a reason she dare didn't... i say a bigger one right. even i mean i don't there know. were reasons that she didn't get this job but i just don't think that that means she couldn't have gotten any other job but also then it turned out that amy's criminal history might not be as clean as it appeared The morning after Bishop was taken into custody, the sheriff's department in Huntsville received a very eye-opening phone call. Oh, no. It was from the chief of police in the town Amy was from in Massachusetts. 
His name was Paul Frazier, and this is what he said to the sheriff's department. The woman you have in custody, I thought you'd want to know. She shot and killed her brother back in 1986. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, she shot and killed her brother in 1986. That's just, like, not on her record. That required a, like, personal email or call. Correct. So Amy grew up in Braintree, Massachusetts. It's a middle-class suburb just south of Boston with her parents, Judy and Sam Bishop, and her little brother, Seth, who was about four years younger than her. Her dad was a teacher in the art department at Northeastern University, and her mother was really involved in the town's civic life. She joined the town meeting, which was, like, the local governing body. And she would draw editorial cartoons for the local paper. Amy was drawn to science from a very young age because of her asthma. She was in and out of the ER constantly as a child, and she thought that through science, maybe she could find a cure for her asthma. In third grade, she started playing the violin, and her little brother Seth wanted to play too. Amy was pretty competitive, and some people said that there was some sibling rivalry at play there. But people who knew the family back then said that Amy adored Seth, that they both loved music and loved science, and that Amy enjoyed having someone younger to collaborate with. She was kind of a loner in a town that definitely favored athletics to the arts and sciences, which show me a town that doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. To this day, Amy insists that she and her brother had a good relationship and that they loved each other. Seth was a shy kid, but he was also adventurous. He'd go all over the surrounding communities of Braintree on his bike and, like, map out the routes. By high school, he'd become a beautiful violin player. And during his senior year, he started dating a junior named Melissa, who says now that Amy didn't approve of their relationship and that she didn't think that Melissa was good enough for her brother. Melissa said that she could tell that their family was a unit that was hard to break into. I mean, this is a high school relationship, though, also. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think it's just the only reason why I included that wasn't because of their relationship. It was more because of Melissa's observations of their family as this, like, close unit. In 1985, so this would have been when Amy was about 20, her grandfather died. And while they were at the funeral, someone broke into their home through a window and completely ransacked their house and stole several items. The family was obviously distraught, and it's such a scary, violating feeling to know that someone else was in your space going through your stuff. Yeah, that happened to us. It went through my brother's room one time. Really? This is It's just weird because it's like the same kind of like, yeah, older brother, I was the annoying little sister. Amy strikes me as an annoying little sister. She's older sister. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. Annoying little sisters are way worse, (laughs) speaking from experience. But yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It would be hard to feel safe in your own home after that. And the family all dealt with it in different ways. Like Judy's way of dealing with it was to write a letter in the paper just asking for their stuff to be returned. (laughs) And Sam's way of dealing with it, the dad, his way of dealing with it was to drive to a sporting goods store and get a 12-gauge shotgun. Judy and Amy did not like the idea of having a gun in the house, but Sam kept it unloaded in the bedroom closet and he kept the shells in a drawer in the bedroom. There's your foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Over a year after the break-in, on December 6th, 1986, Judy and Seth got home at about the same time, around 2 o'clock. 
Early that morning, Judy had left for the stables where they stabled a horse, and she spent all morning exercising the horse, cleaning out the stable, and telling him what a handsome boy he is, I'm sure. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Hello. That's my favorite line, and I don't even have a horse. It's a dog. Yeah. Mine is my cat. Such a handsome boy. (laughs) Such a good boy. Seth had been grocery shopping, and Judy helped him carry in the bags. So this is Judy's story of what happened. While they were unloading the groceries in the kitchen, Amy walked in carrying her dad's shotgun. She said she had a shell in the gun and she couldn't figure out how to unload it, and she asked them to help her. Judy told her she better not point the gun at anyone, and Seth reached for the gun to help. Amy handed it to him, barrel first, and the gun went off, shooting him in the chest within point-blank range. <gasps> at 2 p.m., Judy made the call to 911, letting police know her daughter had just shot her son but told them she'd witnessed the whole thing and that it had been an accident. She later said that Amy didn't even have her finger on the trigger. She had her hand on the barrel and one on the stock, and when she turned to hand the gun to Seth, it just discharged. Police arrived quickly at the scene, and Judy led them to the kitchen where Seth lay on the floor, bleeding to death from a chest wound. (gasps) Amy was nowhere in sight. Paramedics attempted to save Seth's life, while Judy told officers that after Seth collapsed, Amy had taken off. She's like 20, though, at this point. She's 21 or 22. Mm-hmm. She's not. I'm picturing like her as a smaller No, child. she's in her 20s. That's not the yeah, case. She's an adult. She's in college. Seth was pronounced dead at 3.08 that day at the hospital. He was only 18 years old. <sighs> Amy was quickly picked up by officers outside an auto body shop in town and taken to a police station where she told police what had happened. She said that she was alone in the house and she got worried about robbers coming in and Seth had shown her how to load the shotgun. So she loaded several shells into the gun, but she accidentally fired a shot into her bedroom wall and shattered her vanity mirror and she decided she better get those shotgun shells out of the gun. She heard Seth come home, knew he'd be able to get the shells out, but when she turned to hand it to him, the shotgun had just gone off. Why shotguns? Like, they're not the easiest. Yeah. Well, but I'm thinking you've blasted a hole in your vanity mirror, and I'm terrified of guns. Like, I, I've held guns before. I've shot them before. But if I'm around a gun, I'm so terrified. Like, I just get so scared of them. And so if I had had a gun because I'm scared of robbers coming in because I'm alone in my house and my house had gotten robbed a year before and I have this PTSD from it, if I've shot my mirror, I'm putting the gun on the floor, I'm running away, and I'm saying, hey, Seth, the The shotgun's in my room. Could you unload it for me? I don't want to be anywhere near it. I certainly don't want to go walking through the house with it. Like, oh, this seems unsafe. Maybe I should unload it. I just scared myself by shooting it, but I'm going to carry it in. It just always is interesting to me that like shotguns are what people are like for personal protection. I guess because they go farther, right? It's easier to hit a target with a shotgun. You have to be less. You don't have to be as accurate of a shooter. I guess. I don't know. My mom thought someone was stealing her grapefruits. She got a shotgun. She sleeps with it under her bed loaded. She's the last person that should ever have a firearm. It's, you know, and I'm like, a shotgun? Mm. Really? Because someone was stealing your grapefruits? Is she going to shoot the person that's stealing her grapefruit? Is that her plan? Well, I don't know. But now when I go over to see her, she's like, you better announce yourself. Mm. I'm like, dear God. Mogab, you better announce yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I could never kill anything except for... June bugs. Oh. And ants. Okay. I really hate June bugs. They don't do anything to you. They're just ugly and annoying. Roaches. I'll kill a roach. 
Uh, you should just move because I've I haven't seen a roach in eight years. How's true story? How's the cicadas treating you, Mogav? <laughs> hey, they listen. I haven't seen one, and I was on pins and needles, pins and needles. Haven't seen one, but the sound, the ambiance they're bringing. Them? I've only seen they're like not one flying at you, hitting you, right, dobbing me in the face. I know. I mean, I'm still gonna keep that narrative because I we haven't made it out of June yet, but. I may have made it through this. So when you were at the pool, no cicadas flying at you? No. How nice. Okay. I know. But the but the trauma that I experienced preparing for that will be with me for a lifetime. <laughs> it's always worse. Like you always have the picture. I know. Worse. All right. So the officer interviewing her, interviewing Amy, asked if she purposely shot Seth and she said no. And they basically just took her word for it. She was released into her parents' care pending further investigation, but it doesn't really seem like any further investigation was done. It didn't help that while the family was out, neighbors had gone in and, like, cleaned up the crime scene for them. Like, they were trying to be helpful, but... Okay, I'm not volunteering for that. (laughs) Don't clean up a crime scene. I get you're trying to be helpful. You don't want them to come home to their, like, son's blood everywhere, but... Yeah. It's a crime scene. Yeah, there's people that get him a hotel room, pay for a hotel room, you know, like, yeah, start a meal train. Yeah, that's helpful. Two days after the shooting, the chief of police at the time, John Polio, said, quote, every indication at this point in time leads us to believe it was an accidental shooting. But it's actually the district attorney who has the responsibility to investigate. And it wasn't until 11 days after the killing that they sent a couple of police officers out to interview the bishops at their house. Seth's death was ruled an accident by the medical examiner, and the police concluded in their report that his death was the result of the accidental discharge of a firearm. In the days after Seth died, people came by the bishop's house to drop off Chinese food or to express condolences. Nearly the entire town came out to Seth's wake at the Church of All Souls. It was open casket, and a friend of the family said Amy looked like a zombie the whole day, just completely catatonic. Sorry, Chinese food is what we're dropping off? That's the comfort food you bring? Not mashed potatoes, fried chicken, but we're dropping off Chinese food? Yeah. I just... Yeah, Chinese food. Okay. Chinese food is my comfort food. Is it? (laughs) Yeah, I get it every Valentine's Day when I'm feeling sad. Oh, wait, I did that. (laughs) I I was there for one of those, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two years ago. The tradition lives on. (laughs) Yeah, that was good. That was a good Chinese place. Mm Mm-hmm. Open casket. Oh, he was shot in the chest or the shoulder, not the face. The Those chest, the yeah. Okay. Face was the professor's. Okay. But do they sue the maker of this gun if it just discharged and it was, you made it sound like it was open, right? Like it was like cocked open to get the shell out? No, it was not cocked open. She didn't know how to do that to get the shell out. She didn't know how to oh. unload the shell. Okay. So it was closed. Closed. And but then just it discharged. went off. Yeah. That makes me think she sh- went to fire another shot and it didn't come out. And then, you know, like she hit, she fires the shot into a vanity. She pulls mm-hmm. the trigger again. It never discharges. And then that's why it would accidentally discharge. It's not going to accidentally dis. I mean, I don't know. I guess it could. But if that happens and it's an accident, you're suing the firearm people. We'll get into this later, too. But if she shot the shot that exploded her vanity... To get that other shell in, you have to cock it. Yeah. 
So she would have had to load another bullet into the chamber before going down. I don't even have that in my script, but I do have, we talk about how she would have to, you know. I haven't had a shotgun in a long time. Well, I'll go into the mechanisms of it because I got it written down. Oh, good. I can't wait to just, I was going to say poke holes, shoot holes in your mechanics. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Amy also received no counseling for causing the violent death of her brother. Yeah, that's going to mess you up. Yeah, she continued to feel an overwhelming sense of guilt, and she slept with her parents for months after the shooting and refused to leave the house. Mm. The family decided not to move, and so she had to walk past his bedroom and cook meals in the kitchen where he died every day. To try and get past her grief over her brother, Amy threw herself into her schoolwork at Northeastern. And after graduating in 1988, she enrolled in the PhD program in genetics at Harvard. A year after graduating, she married Jim Anderson at the same church her brother's wake was held in. Okay, in 1991, she had her first child with Jim, a daughter named Lily. And then they had two more girls, Thea and Phaedra. And I love all of those names. People said she was a really loving mother, but that she was also very high strung. And she was also finding the PhD program really difficult. And I couldn't imagine trying to get my PhD while also having three small children especially from Harvard. Harvard. Amy had been a standout at Northeastern because she's so smart. But since everyone at Harvard is so smart, she found it a lot more difficult to stand out from the crowd. Oh, heaven forbid, was she average at Harvard? (laughs) She actually wasn't even average. In 1993, she managed to squeak by with her PhD after revising her thesis But someone said that she should never have been awarded that degree, and she was basically the weakest PhD candidate that they had. But, like, the weakest Harvard PhD candidate still has their PhD from Harvard, so. Yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. In 2001, Amy had another baby, a boy this time, that she named Seth, after her brother. Mm -hmm. And he was born on what would have been her brother's 33rd birthday. Oh, that's too much for me. Mm -mm. Is that not crazy? Yeah. Very few people in her life knew the significance of naming him Seth. She hadn't talked much about her brother since he died. Does Jim know? Does her husband know about this? You know, I don't know. I assume so, because I think she did have a few friends that knew why she named him Seth. But yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. She also took up writing and eventually wrote three novels, all dark thrillers, but none of them were ever published. I know. Another (laughs) Another book for $900 on Amazon. They all featured characters that dreamt of careers in science and were haunted by the death of a child they once knew. Oh, no. Her books also commonly dealt with themes of redemption and the concept of deliverance from sins. One of the protagonists in her book, Easter in Boston, wondered at one point in the book if any amount of calling on Jesus would erase her sins. So she definitely remained affected by what had happened with her brother. Oh, I feel sorry for her right now. I don't like that. I know. It seems like she really did have two sides of her personality. One side was very brittle and obnoxious to people. Like she joined a writing group and she was always talking about how she was working with a literary agent who was going to get her a book deal and about how she was distantly related to the novelist John Irving. Also, if you hadn't heard... Amy went to Harvard. <laughs> this so. sounds like uh, would be real irritating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's just say she wasn't the most popular person in the writing group. 
And then there was what I like to call the IHOP incident. Unfortunately, <gasps> it was at IHOP, not at Waffle House. That's but. okay, because we don't have incidents at Waffle Houses. <laughs> <laughs> One Saturday morning in 2002, Amy and her husband, Jim, took their four children to the IHOP in Peabody, Massachusetts. Good, because the Waffle House booths aren't that big. You shouldn't be squeezing that many people in them. <laughs> When they got there, it was really crowded because it was a Saturday morning. And when Amy asked for a booster seat for Seth, the waitress said she'd just given the last one to another family. Oh, no. Oh, no is right. Mm -hmm. Amy was outraged. She said, but we were here first, which if that was the case, then she should have asked for the booster seat first. But she obviously didn't ask for it first. That didn't seem to occur to Amy. She went over to the family who had the audacity to get the last booster seat for their child who needed it. Forbid. And started screaming and cussing at them. (gasps) And she just kept saying, I am Dr. Amy Bishop. Oh, no. Our girl is unhinged here. What did Jim Uh do? Uh Uh-huh. I think Jim was just not doing anything. Like, listen, Amy, it's not worth it. You're going to get some boo-boo-ass pancakes, (laughs) cold eggs. (laughs) Don't do it. A manager finally came and told Amy to leave, which she did, but not before walking back to the woman with the booster seat and punching her in the head. (laughs) No. (laughs) No way. Yes. Amy was arrested, but (sighs) the charges were dropped. So they never showed up on our permanent record. This is our problem. We got to quit dropping charges because then there's no pattern of like just absolute crazy behavior. Exactly. Like, yeah, it shows up. She has this mass shooting at this conference room and everybody's like, this came out of nowhere. She has no history of any of this. She's punching people at IHOP. We just kept dropping the charges on her. She's punching people at IHOP. She's shooting her brother in the chest. Some of Amy's outbursts might be explained because she was really overwhelmed in her work and her home life. She was basically the breadwinner of the family. Jim didn't have any advanced degrees and he didn't work very often. When he did, it was almost always jobs that he'd gotten through Amy. Once she'd told a friend of hers that Jim was too smart to work, which I don't think is actually a thing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean correct also if she has a phd from harvard and he's too smart to work right that a a phd in genetics it's not like a phd in basket weaving you know yeah man i need to find me a man that thinks i'm too smart to work same girl same just kidding love you russell (laughs) and her job was very demanding you know she was still doing postdoctoral research and she was under a ton of pressure to succeed as a woman in science Yeah, that's hard. So when Amy was offered the tenured track position at the University of Alabama in Huntsville, it seemed like her dream job come true. In one of the novels she'd written, she described this university, the University of Alabama in Huntsville. Yes. As the MIT of the South. Oh, that's like when I refer to Texas State as the Harvard of the South. You know, I do not do that. I do that at work. Yeah. People are like, all right, sis. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, their 8% acceptance rate disagrees with you. (laughs) I mean. She thought this job would finally give her family some financial stability. And so they all relocated to Huntsville, Alabama in 2003. 
Okay. Her and Jim even started collaborating on an invention of an automated cell incubator together, which was predicted to change the way biological and medical research is conducted. That sounds like a real snooze fest as a couple's date night. (laughs) Cell incubator? Yeah. Like, not again. I don't want to do the cell incubator tonight. (laughs) But there are certain expectations for someone hoping to get tenure, and one of those is usually getting published. But because she was so distracted with this cell incubator thing and working on getting patents for that, she wasn't doing a lot of writing or research. She'd been given several warnings that if she failed to publish more, that she could put her shot at tenure in jeopardy, and she didn't change anything. That just means that you're, like, on staff. You, like, you can't be fired. You basically work there until you retire, correct? Tenure purposely makes it very, very difficult to lose your job, yes. But it's basically to protect professors so that when they do their research, They can say whatever they want. They can have whatever outcome in their research the science shows without fear of, like, sponsors of the university or anybody else, like, coming in and trying to dictate what they can and cannot say. They're tenured, so they can say whatever they want, basically. It's it's to protect that. So there is a reason for it, but it's really hard to fire somebody, so it should be very hard to get. You know, they don't just give these to anybody. And she also wasn't a great professor. One of the myths of tenure is that it makes people a bad professor, like they get tenure and then they're just kicking their feet back and they're not working. And actually, there have been studies that have shown that it's actually the opposite, that tenured professors tend to put more into their classes than professors that aren't tenured. Yeah, less stress, I guess. Yeah. But she wasn't a great professor. Like she would tell her students that they weren't as smart as the kids at Harvard, which, duh. And she even would just kick several grad students out of her lab. Others Why? just requested to get transferred out. Yikes. I don't know. If she didn't like them. You know what I think about Amy? Hmm. I think she wants to play God. The science, yeah. the taking of lives, the like kicking people out. Like she thinks she's like playing God. She has a power. She has an issue with power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And control. Yeah. I could totally see that. And then she found out her tenure was denied, something that she couldn't control is out of her hands. She tried. She tried appealing it. She got a lawyer. She did everything she could. Still couldn't get what she wanted. Same with the booster seat. I mean, I think you really think you're yeah. on something here. Things and that are out of her control. She's want Jim to work. Yeah, I think Jim has his own issues, though, too. I think, <laughs> I I think mean, Jim has his own issues. Sure. At least one member of the committee voting on Amy's tenure said that she thought Amy was crazy. And said that she'd been worried about her mental health since five minutes after meeting her. Oh, no. But to Amy, this was more than just losing a job. She started fixating on what she called the cautionary tale of Douglas Prasher. So Douglas Prasher was this molecular biologist who had lost funding on his research when he was denied tenure. And he ended up leaving science altogether. He ended up working in Huntsville driving a courtesy van for the local Toyota dealership. And then 16 years later, two scientists that he'd collaborated with won the Nobel Prize in chemistry based partly on Prasher's research. Oh, I would be flipping tables. So Amy was just terrified that this same thing would happen to her. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. 
A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One day, Amy drove to the university. So this is after she'd gotten denied tenure, but before the shooting. One day, she drove to the university and she just parked in front of the administration building and she called the office of the president from her car and said that she wanted to come upstairs to discuss her case with him. And she was told that President Williams, the president of the university, that he would not meet with her. And they told her not to even enter the building. And then she saw the president and another administrator rushing to leave the building with a police escort. (gasps) And Amy called Deborah Moriarty and said, they act like I'm going to walk in and shoot somebody. Okay. Whoa. So what a weird response there, uh, Amy. Amy. Yeah. And then a week before the killings, Amy's husband went with her to a firing range for target practice. Why? Because she asked... I guess they brought along a nine millimeter that a friend of Jim's had given him more than 10 years earlier, which is totally illegal, by the way, at least in Massachusetts. You can't just give somebody a gun. You have to register it. I think that's everywhere. And this article said something really interesting. The way her husband had been described up to this point, he kind of just sounded like a loser. Like he's too smart to work. He couldn't hold a job. He could only get jobs that Amy got for him, etc. But this article said that Amy occasionally described her husband to friends as a Svengali. That word comes up. I'd never have heard that word until we started recording, and now they're everywhere. I know. And one example friends gave was like when Amy would feel injured or humiliated by some professional slight, and she'd be totally outraged. Instead of trying to calm her down, Jim would fan the flames. He would get her more riled up about it. And one friend of the couple said that Amy was a narcissist who had this deep desire to be reaffirmed. And that was the way that Jim held power over her. He would just egg her on even more. Do you feel like people's opinions change after the situation? So like if... Million percent. 
Hindsight is always twenty. Yeah, you ask before this mass killing, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, she's a little, you know, she marches to the beat of her own drum, blah, blah. And then mm-hmm. she kills people and, right. you know, injures others. And then it's like, oh, she was a total nut job. And it's like, that you have to, like, take those with a grain of salt. Because I feel like, it's like when your friends tell you how much they like your boyfriend, and then you break up with them, they're like, oh, he was such a loser. You know? Yeah. Like, it's always dependent on the situation. So weird. Yeah. No, 100%. You get more information or you get somebody else's opinion and you see things from a different viewpoint and it suddenly is like, oh my God, that totally makes sense. So after the shooting in Huntsville and Paul Frazier called the police there to let him know that Amy had also shot and killed her brother back in the 80s. Yeah, shouts to you, Paul. Yeah, authorities in Massachusetts pull out this old file and they find the original police report. And what they saw made them question everything about that supposed accident with her brother. Mm. What happened after the shooting seemed to have been left out of all of the reports sent up to the DA. And it wasn't until they pulled the original reports that they learned that after Seth fell to the floor, Amy fled. She ran out of the kitchen. She left the house through the back door and she took the shotgun with her. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. She cut through a wooded area. And she came out in an alley that dead-ended at the body shop of a car dealership. The place was closed, but there were a few off-duty mechanics hanging out there. And according to the mechanics, Amy came inside holding the shotgun and demanded that they turn over the keys to a car. Hmm. The mechanics ran, and Amy was outside when the cops caught up with her. The report said that Amy looked frightened and disoriented, but that she kept both hands on the shotgun. The cop, this guy named Ronald Salamini, approached her very slowly, trying to reason with her, but she would not put down the gun. As he was talking, Salamini noticed that another officer, Tim Murphy, was approaching Amy from behind with his gun drawn. So Salamini continued to talk to her, distracting Amy while Murphy crept closer. And when he was just a few feet behind her, Murphy started shouting at her to drop the rifle. And Amy did, and the officers grabbed the gun and handcuffed her. Yeah, that's all key intel. Like, that's different than, oh, my God, I just shot my brother. I'm devastated. I'm freaking out, and I'm running into another room, or I'm running down the street crying. Right. Because I'm trying to get out of there. She held up people for a car. Right. With a gun at gunpoint, which (laughs) in itself is a felony. Right. Another thing in the police report was really interesting. So with these guns, and forgive me, I'm obviously not a gun person, but my understanding of the way this shotgun worked is that once you fire the gun, the shell stays in the gun until you pump it, and that's going to eject the shell and it loads a new round into the chamber. So when they picked Amy up, she'd pumped the gun so that the shell casing from the shot that killed Seth had been dumped and a fresh round was in the chamber. All right, so girl knows how to work the gun. If but I'm also thinking like now, it. like we said earlier, that to shoot Seth, she had to pump the gun. After she shot the hole in her vanity mirror, she had to pump the gun again to get rid of that shell, load the new shell in there, and then go kill Seth. Like, she had to have pumped the gun. Unless she didn't pump it from the shot that hit the mirror, and then she's, you know, something happened, and that's, like, why it's, like, a mess. Either way, though... Like, what happened after yeah, tells me that 
yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't accidentally shoot my mirror and then keep carrying this gun around. And furthermore, I wouldn't accidentally shoot my brother and then keep carrying the gun around. Like, what? Yeah. And, I, yeah. And, I, you know, again, like, people act differently in different situations. But she committed a felony here. The charges facing her were very serious. Pointing a loaded gun at someone can get you a felony assault charge. And holding a gun while police are telling you to drop it doesn't usually go over well. Like, she's probably lucky that she's a white woman. Right. Yeah. Yeah, a young white woman for sure. Those results are different. But (laughs) what about when the brother is shot? I'm thinking, like, does she not, oh, my God, and drop the gun? Or, like, oh, my God, and... Or is she... No, she she held on to the gun and ran out of the house. Right. So she didn't even put it down. No. Yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I can see how you might say shooting her brother was an accident. Charge her for sticking up the auto body shop, those poor mechanics holding a gun in their face and asking for a car. Charge her for that and let a jury decide that if she was just so out of her mind because of what had happened to her brother. Like, let the jury decide if that's something that she should be convicted of or not. Or there's other, right? It's not like. Oh, you get the death penalty or oh, it's like you're in prison. Couldn't no, there be other you things get a like a few things in jail? Yeah, probation or maybe some type of like under medical sir I don't know. There's gotta be yeah. some other option here than Yeah. I mean in the eighties it was even more like punish, punish, punish. But right. even so, she at least would have had this on her record. But the police just let her go. Like, she'd killed someone. She'd ran. Then she'd threatened people with a gun. Like, how did they just let her walk out of there? And she's 20. Like, I keep picturing her as, like, 15 for some right. reason. No, she's, like, she's 20. Yeah, she's an adult. Yes. I think she was 21, maybe 22 at this time. Yeah. Because her brother like was 18, 18, and she's four years older than him. So she was at least 21, about to turn 22. Yeah. According to Paul Frazier, the chief of police, that answer was simple. It was because the former chief of police, John Polio, had ordered her release. He said that one of the lieutenants had been booking Amy when he was told to just let her go. What? By who? By John Polio, the chief of police, is what they're saying. Well, he happened to be an acquaintance of Judy Bishop's. And when Mm. he'd taken over as chief of police, he'd made it clear that he was there to clean things up. He'd shut down porn theaters and gambling dens. He'd banned ticket fixing where rich people who were stopped for speeding could call in a favor to get the ticket expunged. But the thing Polio said he hated worst of all was police corruption. Mm -hmm. And once when he'd gotten a tip that two of his own officers were planning to burglarize a local restaurant, he arrested them himself. He was hard on everybody, even the honest ones, and he didn't trust anyone which would all be fine, but he let Amy Bishop go. (laughs) A woman who just shot and killed her brother tried to steal a car at gunpoint and wouldn't put down her gun for an officer. But Ronald Salamini, the cop who'd found Amy at the auto body shop, he had an explanation for that. He said that he'd been back at the station after arresting Amy and that he'd seen Judy Bishop come into the station and that she'd said, where's John V.? Polio's middle name was Vincent. Like, she'd come in and asked for the chief of police by his first name. First and middle. 
I mean, First that's like John V. Yeah. You don't just call. I mean, I call my mother by her middle name and she's <laughs> acting a fool. You don't right. just like call people. No. Me. Right. According to Paul Frazier, Judy was a big supporter of polio. And remember, she'd been very active in local politics. Like she was a uh. member of the town meeting, which was the local governing mm-hmm. body. Polio had been working to get the mandatory retirement age of police officers raised, which was 65, and polio only had a few years left to go. So in Paul Frazier's opinion, the famously incorruptible polio released Amy Bishop to curry political favor. He said it was an open secret that officers in the department would whisper amongst themselves about this decision to let Amy go. Officers who previously may not have liked polio at least respected him for being tough on corruption. But now the attitude was, if he can fix a murder, I can fix a speeding ticket. Yeah. (laughs) Polio was still in Braintree when all this got out. He was 87. And he remembered the incident quite differently. He said that he remembered that Seth and Amy had been horsing around with the shotgun and it went off. He was basing everything on Judy's statements, but he said that it was outlandish to suggest that there was any sort of cover-up. He said he didn't tell anyone to release her, that it hadn't even been his decision at all. But the district attorney said he'd never heard about the incident at the auto body shop until it came out after the Alabama shooting. And if he'd known about it then, he would have charged her with assault, which would have triggered a psychiatric evaluation. And then the shooting at Alabama might not have ever happened. So how did that incident not get included in the report to the DA? The officer who wrote the report, Brian Howe, he said that he hadn't known about it. He'd asked the Braintree police for their original reports, but they'd never turned it over. Like, it all smells like a cover-up to me. Then you keep trying. I don't know why that's the answer. Like, yeah. we didn't turn it over, so I'm just going to write it my own way. The officer who's writing the report, why is he not involved in it at all? Like, yeah, why like, is he somebody with no information? Sense. I don't know how that works. I'm not a cop. But Polio never did get the retirement age raised, by the way. Like, he retired on his 65th birthday because he had to. So if he was trying to, like, make a deal with Judy Bishop, he didn't get anything out of it. Wait, he's trying to make a deal to retire later or earlier? He wanted to raise the retirement age because they were going to force him to retire at 65, which he wants to work longer. Who's trying to do that? Right. This chief of police. (laughs) I I don't know. He sounds he sounds like a good guy. Probably wanted to work longer to clean up more police corruption. But I'm not trusting anyone who's trying to work longer. And that's coming from a certified workaholic. (laughs) I work all of the time. That's probably why I'm ready to retire in like five years. I'm ready to retire yesterday. Yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Spoken like a true teacher out for summer. Yeah. Before all this about her brother came out, Amy had been portrayed in the media as the nutty professor who had acted out of extreme pressure. But afterwards, the narrative shifted quickly. Now she was the bad seed. Stories ran rampant about Amy, including the IHOP, I am Dr. Amy Bishop rant. And another case. This one was unsolved, but Amy and her husband had been suspected of it at the time. Amy's postdoctoral advisor at Harvard, Paul Rosenberg, was not Amy's favorite person. Apparently, they'd gotten into some kind of argument. And days later, he received this suspicious package in the mail. And at the time, this was the time of the Unabomber. So luckily, Paul knew to handle this package carefully. But even then, he nearly triggered the mechanism of a six-inch pipe Wait, it really was a bomb? It really was a bomb. Amy and Jim had recently asked a friend how to make a pipe bomb. 
And Amy had also recently gifted a different friend some kind of material used to make explosives. She said that it was a joke, but none of that was enough to definitively tie her or Jim to the bomb sent Wait, to Paul Rosenberg. No. Pause. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. No. Yep. Okay. But Adnan's <laughs> in prison, everybody. <laughs> But, uh, but, you know, Richard Glossop's on death row, you know, but okay. yeah. <laughs> we can't tire to this okay, bomb. We don't have enough time to unpack all that. <laughs> but so forget the fact that she obviously built this bomb and sent it. She then also gave someone additional materials as a gift. Yeah, that she said was a joke. It was this like explosive material. She sent like six pounds of it or something to this friend. Yeah. Okay, if I'm that friend, like, it's not a joke. (laughs) No, not when, like, your enemy receives a bomb. And luckily, he knew to handle it carefully, and so it didn't go out. He wasn't hurt. How would he know to do that? Because it was a weird package that he wasn't expecting that didn't look like a normal package, and the Unabomber was, like, active at this time. And so he... Like, new to handle a package You're not going to believe this, but we literally just got a weird package today on the front porch. It was a pink box. Swear to God. Opened it up. It was cupcakes. So, shouts to Russell's sister. So sweet. But- Well, did it have a business logo or anything on the top of it? There was, like, some stuff printed, but, I mean, we weren't expecting anything. But, like, (laughs) I can't imagine getting a box and thinking, like, this could be cupcakes or it could be a bomb. (laughs) Like- (laughs) What? Okay, all of that on top of several former colleagues and neighbors who all came forward after the Alabama shootings to talk about different altercations they'd had with Amy over just the smallest things. Like a booster seat. Right. Like I couldn't imagine being neighbors with someone who really thought that they were entitled to a booster seat at IHOP to the point where you're punching people in the head, screaming, cussing at them in the middle of a very family-friendly restaurant. In front of your kids. In front of like, your I own children. Understand. Yeah. Like, I can't wait for you to tell me about her kids at the end of this, where they are, if you know. I don't Do know. know. No, I don't know. I mean, I just wonder what they're doing through all of this. No. I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I think you. I think that information is available if you want to look it up. But I did not, and it's not going to be in here. Sorry. That's fine. People said that her bad behavior had just been swept under the rug and that they'd all paid a terrible price for that. And people started to wonder about Judy Bishop. Like, had she described Seth's death accurately or had she covered up for her daughter? She was the only witness. And Amy had been released basically based on her statements. It wouldn't be the first time that a mother had covered for something their child had done. Cough, Patsy Ramsey. Cough. <clears throat> Ramsey, I know that last name. John Bonet. You got it. <laughs> what the mom did the mom kill John Bonet? No. Right. I feel like it's can't widely believed. Speculated. Speculated. The brother. So the brother. It was the brother. And that they covered it up. Yeah. Ah. But Seth's case would be difficult to investigate 25 years later, especially since there'd never been much of an investigation done in the first place. And people came and cleaned it up. And people came and cleaned it up. The physical evidence hadn't been kept. They didn't even still have the gun. And there were only a few photos of the crime scene. The house had not been gone over by crime scene investigators. And even if it had, those neighbors had cleaned most of it up anyway. They couldn't even charge her with the crimes at the auto body shop anymore because of the statute of limitations. So the only crime that they could still charge her with was Seth's murder. 
And to do that, prosecutors would have to prove that she'd intentionally killed her brother. But investigators were determined to find something, anything. There's no statute of limitations on murder, right? Correct. Right. Yeah. That's about the only thing that there's no statute of limitations on, which I've tried. I have looked up why the statute of limitations exists, and I just don't understand why. It seems like it exists to protect criminals, and I just don't understand that. Well, easy. I got some things that I need to just let ride out. You know what I'm saying? So don't get on your soapbox. (laughs) But investigators were determined to find something, anything. And it was pretty obvious that they were really reaching because the best they could come up with was something they found in the crime scene photographs of Seth's death. They noticed a copy of the National Enquirer on the floor in one of the photos, and they ordered the same issue from the Library of Congress, and they realized that the big article in this issue was all about the murder of Patrick Duffy's parents. Patrick Duffy was this actor who played Bobby on Dallas, but I knew him as the dad on Step by Step. Did you ever watch Step by Step? Uh, Kind of. I liked the theme song. It was a bop. (laughs) Day by day. day. So a month before Seth had been killed, Patrick Duffy's parents had been killed in a bar in Montana by two people using a 12-gauge shotgun. Oh, my God. What? They'd fled the scene and used the gun to try and steal a getaway car. And so investigators said that Amy had used this article as a sort of instructional manual for her crimes. And the district attorney said the magazine could be used to prove intent. Which honestly is terrifying to me. Like, I get they want to get Amy and they want to hold her accountable if she really did kill her brother. But like, my God, this just feels like grasping for straws because people didn't. But like, that's do their job at the time. But that's weird, right? I don't know. Is it that she has a magazine on the floor about Patrick Duffy's parents being murdered? And now they're like, oh, this is why she murdered her brother? Because I don't know. This is, I'm appalled by everything. I don't think it's a smoking gun, you know? I don't think it proves it. It might, like, kind of nudge you along, like, oh, maybe this happened, but I don't think it proves anything. Like, nothing. Yeah, but it's weird. (laughs) It's weird. Yeah, it's weird, but you cannot charge somebody for something weird. I mean, you can charge people for weird things. An inquest was opened into Seth's death, and on the stand, Judy testified that she didn't have any sort of friendship with John Polio, and she insisted that she'd never asked for him at the station. John Polio and his wife, who said she happened to be with Polio in his office that day, they both also testified that they were not close friends with Judy, and both testified that Polio had never given an order to release Amy. And in fact, they had agreed with the captain when he said he was planning on turning the case over to the state police and the DA. The captain had passed away by this time, by the time the inquest was open, so he obviously couldn't confirm that that was true. But the wife said she remembered being in his office. The captain came in and said, hey, we're going to take this case. We're going to move it up to the DA and the state police. And that he was like, sounds good. Which, honestly, if I was friends with Judy as Officer Polio Chief, whatever, Mm -hmm. I would want it to move up there, too. Like, just to cover your ass. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I just don't even want to be like. Yeah. Like, I have a conflict of interest here. I'm going to need to mm-hmm. move this up the chain. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to deal with that. It sounds like there's not a whole lot happening in Braintree. So, like, maybe 
I would yeah, and it sounds also. like there was something that happened on the way from the captain sending this up to the the state police and the DA that they left out this whole part of the report about what happened after the death, and they all just looked at it and said, because even if Polio had said, "Hey, release her," the DA could have said, "Hey, bring her back." Yeah, I'm investigating this case. She's a criminal. So it couldn't have been all the chief of police. They're not above the DA. Yeah, you can release someone and then call them back. It's and not like a once they step back. <laughs> right, yeah. right. right. like a one and done. I'm assuming a whole lot of stuff here, okay? I actually <laughs> don't have a single bit of knowledge of how that works with the DA and the chief of police and all of that. So if Sounds I'm wrong... Like- Somebody let me know. <laughs> hey, if anyone does know how it works, provide Kristen with a handmade flow chart. That would be great. She would yeah. love that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll put it on the IG. Yeah. Now, there were also some discrepancies with Judy's story that she told at the time and the story that she told at the inquest, like some major discrepancies. Well, her son had just been shot by her daughter, so. Yes. So the story she came up with later was that she and Seth had arrived home at the same time and that she'd helped him carry in the groceries and that Amy had been home alone and scared. They'd both been out, Seth and Judy, and her dad had been gone too. They had gotten in a fight earlier and he'd left. Amy had been home alone and scared and that's why she had the gun. She was scared of the robbers coming. But it doesn't seem like that was actually true. Earlier, Judy had said that she'd gotten home around lunchtime and that Seth had been home when she'd gotten home. And she sent him to the store to go get the groceries. Oh, no. Which would mean that when Seth had gotten home from the store, Amy hadn't been home alone all that time. Judy well, had been in the house with her. Did Judy not hear her shoot out the mirror? I, exactly. So how did she have the gun? Some people have speculated that since she and her dad had fought that morning, that it might have been him that she meant to kill and not her brother. Like, a very legally blonde type deal, you know? Mm-hmm. I thought it was you, you. walking through the door. <laughs> yes, I've seen that movie multiple mm. times, everybody. Excellent, excellent. After the inquest, the case went to the grand jury, who indicted Amy Bishop for the first-degree murder of her brother. Amy was already in jail in Alabama at this time, and after the indictment was announced, she made an attempt on her life in her jail cell using a razor blade. But she survived because a prison guard found her collapsed and bleeding. If four more minutes had gone by, she would have died. Judy Bishop, whose family has literally seen nothing but tragedy. She says she thinks Amy just snapped that day in Alabama. She can't explain why she did what she did. But she said that Seth's death was an accident and that the whole inquest and indictment was just a way to nail polio. She said that she was there, she saw it happen, and it changed her entire life, and it offended her that those officers were trying to tell her that it didn't happen the way that she said. Judy said that Paul Frazier had lied about this conspiracy between her and polio, which, considering that nobody could show anything that polio actually got out of this supposed deal with Judy, it seems to me like maybe he did lie about that, or just made it up. Also, the town meeting that Judy was a part of consisted of 240 other people. So it didn't exactly give her the pull they made it seem. It wasn't like the six people that sit on a town council or something. I also didn't know there were that many people in Braintree. (laughs) They also said that the officer lied when he said that she'd asked for the chief by name. The simplest explanation of why Amy was released might just lie in the fact that Braintree was a really small town and the Bishop family was pretty well known around town. 
It wasn't some conspiracy for personal gain, but more a conspiracy of compassion for a person that you know. Most of the people in Braintree believed Seth's death was an accident. And it wasn't like this horrible crime that had been kept hidden all this time. I mean, everybody knew about it. But there should have been a proper investigation at the time. And if there had been, there wouldn't be all these questions now. Roy Miller was assigned to be Amy's lawyer, and he spent 18 months preparing for an insanity defense. Amy had actually asked for the death penalty, but eventually was talked out of it and entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder how often that happens. Probably never. Probably zero times. If somebody asked for the death penalty. Versus life in prison. I hear the afterlife is pretty great. Yeah, but here's the thing. You're not dying tomorrow. Your jail is going to be worse because you're going to be on death row with all the other death row inmates. And then you're going to have to go through decades and decades and decades and decades of appeals. I mean, you'll probably still be in jail 25 years Hmm. before you die. And then you're going to die a horrific death, you know. But that last meal, though. They don't, a lot of states don't do that anymore because other people have ruined it for the other death row inmates by asking (laughs) for too many things. (laughs) Okay, it's not funny, but like. I know. (laughs) That, that scenario happens in every aspect of life and the fact that it's been ruined even by meals i can't all right so he's spent 18 months trying to prepare for this insanity defense but it wouldn't be an easy case to make especially in alabama where juries weren't buying insanity defenses yeah it's alabama it's alabama amy says she's horrified by the shooting but that she has no memory of it And after she was arrested and put into the cruiser, she told the officers that it hadn't even happened, that everyone was still alive. And she's talking about the shooting at Alabama. And that might be a genuine reaction, or it might be a tactic that she'd already put in motion to get herself an insanity defense. Her partial amnesia that she was having really does seem to be convenient. Like, she doesn't remember the Alabama shootings, and she doesn't remember the incident at the auto body shop or why she racked the shotgun again. And also, several of the people that she'd shot, including one that she'd killed, Gopi Padilla, they'd actually voted for her tenure. So it couldn't just be explained as like an act of revenge. Oh, hell no. Does she know who voted? She knows who voted. Yeah. And she still killed him. So he wants that vote back. (laughs) Like, he does. He wants that vote back. He actually seems like a really, like, nice, like, you know, he's just a scientist. Like, of course, nice with that guy. name. Ugh. I know. <laughs> I know. I want Go Gopi shirts. And also, Amy had lived a fairly well-adjusted life. Like, she'd earned a PhD from Harvard. She'd raised four kids without any major incidents. Ugh, I'm out on her. Yeah. The notion that Amy had some sort of extreme delusions, like paranoid schizophrenia, that's going to be hard for a jury to believe. Because mm-hmm. you would think that... There would be more than the entitlement of booster seats and punching somebody in the head if you have paranoid schizophrenia. You know, you're going to have more incidents than that. Her trial was scheduled for September 24th, 2012, but her lawyer got her a deal of life in prison if she pled guilty to capital murder in exchange for taking the death penalty off the table. Her lawyer said later that he figured they had about a 1% shot at convincing the jury that she'd been insane, especially since they had no evidence that she was insane. Yeah, she even ever been to, like, therapy one time. No, and all the psychiatric tests that they'd run on her had proved inconclusive. 
So Amy pled guilty and she got life in prison, but they were still deciding whether or not to have Amy face a murder trial back in Massachusetts for Seth's death. It would also be much harder to prove guilt than to get an indictment from a grand jury, which we've talked about this before, but grand juries almost always indict. The indictment rate of a federal grand jury is 99.99%. Oh, check out those odds. Yeah, there's like 11 cases out of 193,000 cases that they decided not to indict for lack of evidence. That's it. I want to serve on a grand jury. You know, my uncle was on a grand jury for a long time. Yeah. They didn't have the physical evidence, and they tried to make a story for motive that Amy and Seth didn't get along, but no one could testify to that. Of course they don't get along. They're brother and sister. I pushed my brother off a second-story balcony and his forehead's (laughs) dented in. Oh, is that why you had such a reaction to the Max Shackney death? Oh, maybe. God. (laughs) (laughs) okay whoa did i just unlock something sorry well and they couldn't find anybody that could testify that they didn't get along also my brother's fine my brother's fine he just got a dented forehead everywhere (laughs) it's fine we were playing superman we were little (laughs) weird paul frazier had stated at a press conference that amy and seth had fought that morning the day that she'd killed him But that was wrong. That was wrong information. The fight had been between Amy and her dad, not her brother. So in the end, they all decided not to seek extradition. Massachusetts doesn't have the death penalty anyway. So the penalty they would be seeking was already in place for her. She'd be getting life in prison. Yeah. But then Amy said that she wanted to be tried for Seth's death. She wanted the truth to come out so she could get closure for her parents that his death had been an accident. But the problem to me with that is that a a not guilty verdict is not the same as you are innocent. It's just that you could not prove a person's guilt. So there's really nothing that can prove her innocence. Only Amy will ever really know if she meant to kill Seth or not. I don't even think we can trust Judy's memories to be accurate at this point. I'm sure she believes what she said, that Amy's finger wasn't even on the trigger, but she's been saying it for so long. I mean, who knows if that's even accurate memory at this point? Yeah. The author of the article, Patrick Rodden Keefe, he had his opinion on Seth's death. He thinks that in a fit of anger, Amy grabbed the gun intending to frighten her dad, but ended up killing her brother. But, and, you know, and we'll never know about her motivation with Seth, with Seth's death. She won't be tried for it. And even if she were, I don't think there's anything that we could get out of a trial that would tell us definitively one way or another. And I don't think we'll ever really be able to explain what happened that day in 2010, you know, when Amy her photo again. Yeah. When Amy chose to bring a gun to that meeting and kill as many of her colleagues as possible. She killed three people that day. Gobi Padilla, Maria Raglan Davis and Adriel Johnson. Three others were injured, but they all recovered. One of them, Joseph Leahy, he did die seven years later, but it was said to be from natural causes and not related to his injuries from the shooting. But that's the story of Amy Bishop and the University of Alabama in Huntsville shooting. Oh, my God. Well, that was very interesting. I'm glad you liked it. I I wouldn't say liked it. I don't like any of this. (laughs) Okay. I'm glad you found it interesting. I find it sad and intriguing and a lot of things. It is sad and intriguing. People want to shoot guns, tell someone. If people are asking to make pipe bombs, tell someone. If people have nunchucks in their desk, tell someone. You know, like, (laughs) why? Should I call the police right now? Should I submit a report? (laughs) 
People think I'm kidding, but you can hear it. Do you hear that? Oh, no. She's legit got nunchucks. In fact, I'm taking a picture. No. (laughs) (laughs) Can't use that. Hey, peeps and creeps. We'd love to catch a follow on social media. So follow us at CreepersPod and join the Facebook discussion group. It's part true crime, part Waffle House. So you don't want to miss it. And you can also email us any feedback, case suggestions, or just tell us what's hidden in your dust drawer at creeperspod at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. And a huge thank you to everyone who has left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We got some new ones. They're so <laughs> yeah. good. No see with the light on. It's really taken off, Mogan. I know. It's, it's really taken off. I wish that we could That's a merch see who that. had made that up like somebody made that up and we don't know who it is so if you're the one that left us the nosy with the light on review the first time that came Slide up in with those that, dms yes let's know that was you so if you have not yet left us a rating or a review on apple podcast they really help us out in a huge way our goal is to get to 200 we're at like 194 we only need six more to make our first goal then oh we're gonna make another goal you know we're gonna oh. go beyond that but help us reach this first goal of 200 gold diggers <laughs> I hated that. I hated everything about that. No, that was bad. That was bad. Give me <laughs> boss babe vibes and I'm not into that. And be sure to subscribe or I guess follow. They kind of took the subscribe away. So follow True Crime Creepers on wherever you get your podcast. So you'll have our next episode as soon as it drops where I'll tell MoGab another wild story. Bye peeps and creeps. Oh, that felt like a good one.